Literature and Psychology by Dr. Saideh Malik Afzali, Dr. Daniel Rockers, and Dr. Alex Andrade from Tabana Organization. Tabana is a non-profit mental health organization organized in Sacramento, California. Tabana seeks to help individuals and families to strengthen their capabilities and to thrive. Aired on Saturdays and Sundays from 12 to 1 o'clock weekly. A very warm hello to our Radio Bombdad listeners. Um, I'm sitting with Dr. Daniel Rockers, Dr. Alexandrati, and this is uh, Dr. Saide Malikafsali speaking. Uh, today, we want to talk about um, the mental health and the month of mental health under NAMI, N-A-M-I, um, which is National Alliance for Mental Health Issues. And um, Dr. Daniel Rockers uh, quite sometimes was uh, the president or the vice president, I can't remember exactly, but he's gonna explain it himself. And this month, I know it's the month of mental health and NAMI, National Alliance for Mental Health Issues is involved and the president of uh, Sacramento Valley Psychological Association, which is an organization we all met at the very beginning of our, um, you know, becoming acquaintance and knowing each other and becoming friends. Uh, so SVPA was our, um, place to meet and our um, focus uh, for a while. And through that, um, I got to know Dr. Rockers, who was involved with NAMI. And this month, uh, the new president of SBPA is involved. And um, so we were talking about that. And we decided to expand this to our conversation. And I give it to Dr. Rockers to either correct me for anything I said, which was not right, or just expand on it. Sorry, Day, you did a great job. I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> NAMI, so NAMI stands for National Alliance on Mental Illness. And it is a national organization, but it has state chapters and then local chapters all across the nation. And NAMI is set up as an organization to, it provides advocacy, it provides education, its support, but also public awareness for all individuals or families that are affected by mental illness. It's a very comprehensive thing. Generally, what I found is that it works towards helping people with what are called more severe mental illnesses. And it would be things like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, things like that, which are very challenging to treat or to deal with just for the family members involved, let alone the individuals. So what NAMI does, and they do a really good job of this, is they have, they have a lot of peer support, what is called peer support. And so it is where people have lived experience. The term is lived experience. It's generally somebody who has been down that road they know the problems, they know the pitfalls, they know the difficulties that are going to be showing up in there. You know, the way our system is set up with 
treating mental illness, severe mental illness is going through the county. And a lot of times that can seem like a bureaucratic maze and it's hard for people to access the support that they want to get. So NAMI is there and they're set up to help people make their way through that maze, but also find other support. NAMI offers a bunch of classes for family members and for people who have the mental illness, and they do a wonderful job of that. I've attended some of those classes. I was vice president of the local NAMI association. I didn't quite make president there, which is probably better, although I was functioning <laughs> as president for, for a little while. Anyway, that's NAMI. Um, can you talk about what, did you have any experience with NAMI, Saide or Alex? Um, only through you when you were the president of SVPA and we knew you're the vice president of NAMI at the time. I just got it through you. I got to know this organization. I know um, they need donation and especially SVPA is always very advocate of NAMI and, and tries to um, raise some money. They usually have a target um, money to collect and they ask any individuals, especially the members of SVPA to donate. Um, that's all I know, but I know SVPA, uh, Sacramento Valley Psychological Association, which we each are a member of, is very active in that. And there's a walk going on this Saturday um, that maybe you can talk about that. Could anybody attend that or do, do they have to be a member? How does that work? You don't have to be a member. You can just go to the NAMI Sacramento website. And I think that's where you can sign up and you put some sort of a donation into that and you go to the walk. It's a very low key affair. They call it a walk. If you want to run, you can do a run there, but most people just walk and they have a good time and they connect with lots of people. Usually they have some public officials there as well because NAMI is very much involved in advocacy, meaning they want to get involved in helping appropriate legislation get passed so that people with mental illness can get treated. It's like I said, it's such a challenge. And all, three of us all know this being in the mental health field that oftentimes there is a stigma around mental health treatment. So people don't want to come in or people don't want to admit people don't want to reveal that they have some sort of a mental illness. NAMI is there to help change that and to help people get appropriate treatment, just as all three of us are functioning in this mental health field, mental health space. You know, I Alex, always, I'm sorry. I always thought the taboo of mental health is a specific to um, third world countries or some other um, cultures. Um, but after being involved in mental health in the United States, I realized taboo is everywhere. People usually have a hard time to admit um, that they have um, family members, that they need more support. And I remember even reading about it or even experiencing it in our country. I remember long before when I I was going to say long before when I was a child, but I was going to say just a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> You're a little too late on catching the humor part for that one. Yeah, but I know. Good effort. <laughs> but uh, seriously, I knew there were people who had um, 
a family member who didn't even want to bring to the mainstream and they were always alienated um, the child at home or leave the child with someone. Um, and I know it's getting better even back there, but I realize here uh, is not, or it hasn't been that much different. So maybe culturally this mental health issue um, everywhere, um, you know, it's not as um, open as it is. But I know um, when I was working at school setting, the mainstream um, classes helped a lot to bring these kids to the school rather than um, alienated them, um, keeping them separate in a different school. Um, in our district, there were a couple of uh, schools that these uh, severely, um, the severe issues who, um, people who had severe issues, the, the kids, they were placed in those schools because they needed a specific and a special help. But if they weren't as severe, they were um, sort of mild or intermediate, you know, medium type, um, you know, issues they would mainstream them and it helped them a lot to be around, learn social life. Um, and I know, I don't know the statistics, but I don't know from when this mainstream thing happened. Let's, I uh, want to keep going with this idea of stigma or taboo on mental illness. Alex, what are your thoughts? Do you think that in the US there is a stigma on mental illness? Well, I think uh, first, I'm glad we're talking about this, given that May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And so this is kind of a, maybe part of a larger discussion in regards to how do we bring mental health awareness into light in a way that doesn't come with that stigma or taboo. Uh, I think to answer your question, Daniel, I think it very much still does in that way. And I think it's uh, exemplified in the culture as a whole. But then in specific racial or ethnic groups, too, uh, it could be just as present, if not even more in that way. Uh, I was recently talking to some friends and uh, telling them I'm a psychologist, a friends of my parents, I should say. And I was telling them I'm a psychologist and uh, they were very interested and curious. And as we continued to conversate, they mentioned how like, yeah, that normally like that's not something they would, you know, even think about or, you know, be open to talking to. But I found once they started to, and you guys may have had this too, once they found out I was a psychologist, they're like, oh, that's really, really cool work that you do. And, you know, being Mexican American, that's even cooler because that way you can, you know, talk to somebody who understands your cultural background a little bit more. And they were also a Latino as well. So it was that idea of like, oh, okay, this can be an okay thing to talk about especially if there is that ease and, and familiarity in regards to what a psychologist maybe looks like. So I think that is one of the ways that we can kind of bridge and, and, and start to address those stigmas and taboos within uh, particular cultures. And I mean, even the show, we're talking about culture and psychology. So it is really saying that is a part of you know, psychology, we, we can't ignore it, we have to embrace it and say that this is something that we can bring to people who maybe typically wouldn't seek services because how strong those stigmas can be as a whole, as well as within their specific culture. Why do you think there is this stigma about mental illness? Why would there be that? Where does this come from, do you think? 
Great question. And I think sometimes specifically to the Latino culture and said, hey, I think you've touched on this too uh, within your cultural background. Sometimes it's this idea of it, it kind of clashes with some values, almost like the, the family value of we need to appear in a certain manner. Uh, we need to be kind of private, almost respectful. It, it's kind of couched in this idea of it's disrespectful to talk about the family and to shame or air some of their issues by seeking help. It's almost like admitting there's a problem, which means saying that the family is bad in some way. So I think a lot of people get this idea that it could be, uh, you know, it puts shame on the family. It represents the family in a negative light. And so given that the family is such a core piece to, uh, for support, for love, for care, to go against the family by sharing those things can put somebody in an uncomfortable position. So I think that's just one of the possible contributors to what makes that difficult. Saide, what about you? What do you think? Why would there be, or why is there such a stigma? Yeah, a lot of what Alex said, and also as um, I'm thinking the value that Alex also um, pointed out, um, is important in specifically in cultures that um, knowledge and wisdom and being proper, um, everything is fine, everything is perfect, is the surface of the culture. So I think even getting to know Western culture, I realize that a lot of that applies to this culture as well, because people would like to appear as um, if not perfect, close to perfect, because we don't know what goes on behind the scene and behind the masks. So a lot of issues are private, a lot of issues are left um, to the homes rather than society. So I think um, like any issues that opens up, which we know more um, in the, this field, um, you know, like gender issue, um, the um, gay, lesbian, transgender, all those issues, those gradually opened up their way in the society. And I think mental health was is one of them as well. How many people do you see that they come open and they say something about the issue they have and especially the medication? I feel like the physical issues are so much easier that people talk about uh, than the mental issues, you know. Um, so we can actually research on that, uh, different culture, because there's a lot of different maybe details that we don't know about. But as much as we have experience, I realize um, it's very similar all over the world that people would like to appear um, healthy, people like to appear there's no problem. I don't have any issues. Um, the secrecy of the family, the secrecy of self, all of that, there are issues that uh, people are dealing with. And with that, uh, we got to our first break. We come back and we continue our conversation. Um, I would like to say some words in Farsi. شنوندگان عزیز رادیو بامداد روزهای شنبه و یک شنبه صدای ما از رادیو بامداد به زبان انگلیسی پخش میشه 
ما برنامه‌مون تحت کالچر اند سایکولوژی با دکتر دانیل راکرز، دکتر الکساندرادی و خود من سعیده ملک افزلی از رادیو بامداد صحبت‌های ما در جنبه‌های فرهنگی و روانشناسی به صورت تقریبا زنده درست ما اینا رو رکورد میکنیم ولی رکورد میکنیم و هیچ وقت هم ادیتش نمیکنیم به همین دلیل امیدوارم که همونقدر که ما کجولی صحبت میکنیم شما هم از صحبتهای ما استفاده بکنین و خطاهای ما یا اشکالاتی که در برنامهمون هست به بزرگی خودتون ببخشید ما امروز اگر تازه رادیوتون رو باز کردین و قسمت اول رو گوش نکردین راجب مسائل منتال هلت بیماری های روانی و اینکه یه ارگانیزیشنی به اسم نامی که مخفف نشنال الائنس منتال ایلنسز نامی صحبت کردیم که این ماه ماهیه که اینا در حقیقت روی منتال هلت برای اینکه یک کمی باز کنیم این موضوع رو تمرکز دارن و ما همین شنبه که میاد یک راه پیمایی هست برای نامی و من دکتر راکرز و دکتر انرادی که جز ساکرامنتو سایکولوژیکال اسوسییشن هستیم ارگانیزیشن خیلی بر ما مهمیه چون ما از نظر کامیونیتی اینجا همدیگر رو ملاقات کردیم و خیلی از روانشناسایی که توی شهر هستن اینجا با هم آشنا میشن و SVPA که مخفف همون ساکرامنتو سایکولوژیکال اسوسییشن هستش با نامی که همون نشنال الائنس منتال ایلنسز ارگانیزیشن هست اینا با هم خیلی خوب کار میکنن و همیشه ساپورت هم هستن و به هر حال ما صحبت همون در قسمت اول راجبه این بود یک کمی طولانی شد توضیح من ولی ببخشید برمیگردیم دنباله صحبتمون رو بعد از بریک ادامه میدیم سرنوشت را باید از سرنوشت شاید این بار کمی بهتر نوشت آشقی را غرق در باور نوشت قصه ها را از کجا این باور آمد که گفت گر روید سر بر نگردد سر Dr. Rockers and Dr. Alexandradi, and we continue our conversation about mental health issues. Uh, Dr. Rockers opened up the question, and um, Dr. Andrade and I responded. How about you, Dr. Rockers? What do you think? 
Actually, can I, I was going to jump in and add a little bit to what Daniel said earlier, as far as the the resources that NAMI provides uh, in my, both my private practice, but then also working for a local organization here in Sacramento, I found them a great resource in pointing individuals to groups, uh, also um, trying to help them connect with uh, other like housing. I mean, there's so much that they provide, uh, as Daniel mentioned, for individuals typically suffering from more severe mental health issues. Uh, And just knowing that it's a kind of a known resource, people are somewhat familiar with the name. It feels like they can trust that they'll get some support and some help. Uh, It's been something that I've found, you know, patients either I'm working with or uh, you know, for some time and I'm pointing them in that direction, or they come to me and they've already maybe attended some of those classes or courses, uh, including uh, learning how to, uh, one of the big classes or, or some of the types of classes, I should say that a lot of people have mentioned really helpful is how they can get education about a family me- member's mental health. And it kind of teaches them and guides them ways to understand it, uh, even ways to support them so that they can kind of salvage or manage that relationship. Uh, It's something that for a lot of individuals, unfortunately, because of severe mental illness, a lot of the conflict, a lot of the stress is within the family. And that can be one of the the greatest resources that they have. So if that is creating some conflict or tension in the family, a person loses resources, maybe even loses housing. And then we see these issues escalate to the point of housing issues, you know, even things like, you know, food and clothing. I mean, it just kind of cascades if there isn't that core support uh, for individuals who sometimes struggle the most with maintaining familial connections. So uh, for that reason, I found NAMI is a great resource. I've in the past participated in the walks, uh, the walk that they just had uh, recently. I also participated in that as well. It's just a great way to get out there and kind of show that support for this organization and to connect with a lot of other people in the community who are either impacted by mental health uh, with, for, you know, within their own life, as well as even you know, providers such as myself. Uh, so I think it's a, a great uh, you know, resource as well as a, a great you know, uh, event that they hold each year. And it's only a 5K. You could easily walk a 5K uh, and, you know, or jog it if you're up to it. So it's, it's great for that. It's not a huge commitment. Uh, it's, it's usually on a Saturday morning and you'll hear these speakers who are also very passionate about these topics and people who, whose lives are touched by it as well. Uh, unfortunately, this uh, will be uh, aired when um, the NAMI walk has been uh done but it's good for future but also i was wondering is it easy for people who need support to get in uh, if they need support to see a psychologist a psychiatrist how does that work with nami uh dan well nami themselves i think the sacramento chapter anyway we didn't provide direct help from NAMI, but could guide you to places where they can get help. We were in the process of negotiating that, and I'm not sure if they've finished doing that yet or not. I know that David Bain, the executive director there who runs the runs the Sacramento NAMI, extremely capable, knowledgeable, and connected individual there. It's just a pleasure to work with, and he really understands nonprofit organizations and how to run one. So it's, he's really done a great job with 
NAMI Sacramento. The way they can connect is on the website. There is a way to connect that way, either sending an email or making a phone call. And I know they respond to those, but they can point you in the direction of who can help you in the community. They can point you in the direction of getting court, take some of their classes or their peer led classes. And I believe they also are connected with, they can tell you about the different uh, mental health hospitals or mental hospitals around in the area. Um, as far as my experience goes, when I was uh, in high school setting, uh, obviously we had a lot of um, unfortunate and disadvantaged kids that they really couldn't, um, the family couldn't support them for mental health to go to private psychologists or psychiatrists and they didn't have insurance, health insurance. So we had a, a social worker and several psychologists working in our organization, but one of the issues we always run into was getting into these different places that you're talking about. We had so many resources, we knew all these resources, but mostly there was a wait list for two months. For So that tells you that how many people really need support because what I experienced was getting into these places was very, very difficult. I know some of those organizations because I wanted to get the kids to those organizations and I was talking to people in charge and I know every organization is swamped when it comes to mental health and um, the um, nonprofit organizations that are um, just here and there. They open um, many during the year, but getting into them is not that easy. It's hard to get, it's often hard to get treatment. And I think one of those reasons is that at least I can speak at least here in the U.S., it is, we are a capitalist culture. And what that means is that money is one of the bigger issues. And if you have money, it's easier to get treatment. It's easier to get everything, pretty much, if you've got money in a capitalist culture. That doesn't, I'm not putting down capitalist culture or socialist culture. Socialist culture is set up where people can get the treatment, and I suspect they can get treatment a little bit easier than they might here. And the upshot of all of that means that some of these severe, treating some of these severe mental illnesses are left to public resources where there isn't a lot of money, and therefore there's a glut in the system, and it's hard to get in and hard to find treatment. And this is one of the ongoing challenges. Alex, did you have some comment in there for anything that I was saying? No, just to, to support you further in that. Yeah, a lot of times with these diagnoses, uh, a piece of that is that they impact social, occupational, and interpersonally. And because of that, we're talking about individuals sometimes who struggle to maintain uh, employment. So it's we're talking about a lack of resources, a lack of income, and trying to find either very low income, uh, either low cost services or free services. And unfortunately, uh, you're like you're saying, everything costs money. And so it's, it's unless there are organizations such as NAMI, uh, a lot of people find that they, there's just much, there isn't much out there and left um, hurting, let alone sometimes a, a big part, a big part of uh, a lot of mental illness 
is a lack of insight into it. So especially with those more severe mental health issues, they may not have the insight to recognize the severity and the degree that it's impacting their life, let alone the, you know, the hurdles that it takes with calling and scheduling an appointment and being on hold and having to explain to somebody what they're, you know, struggling with on a deep personal level and then being put on hold. And so it's just something where I, I find even just scheduling an appointment can be one of the biggest hurdles and challenges, uh, especially if there's a, a huge, you know, severity in their, their, their functioning and their mental health. Right. In, ter- in terms of mental illness, since May is mental illness month, there's another topic or aspect of this I want to bring up. And my question for you will be, what component do you think emotion plays in mental illness? And my background on that is that a lot of times in my practice, I hear clients talk about not wanting to have or show emotions. I don't want to quote, be emotional. And I think that usually means to have to cry, but they say that to have emotions like that is to be weak. And my question for you is how much do you think that is a part of, or is that all of mental illness? How does that figure in, in your thinking? What are your thoughts on that? Alex, can you jump in? You know, I'm thinking as mentioning the larger kind of view and picture of things, you know, in our society, there's a real emphasis on, being intelligent, being rational, being calm. And so it gets stigmatized to even show emotion or to express emotion. It's sometimes viewed as this weakness or this shortcoming. And so if that's the idea for people who are, you know, emotionally stable for the most part, a big impact uh, that mental health has is on our emotions. So if we're not able to manage and navigate our emotions uh, as easily or as comfortably as some then a person can feel at an even greater disadvantage. And so we learn a lot of times to avoid further problems, we'll retreat, we'll not show emotion, we'll not express emotion. And so we think, well, that will solve it. But what I find a lot of times, and you may have experienced this in the work that you do as well, we can't just blunt or mute one emotion. We can't just kind of mute the negative emotions. The positive emotions, if you will, are also impacted. So then a person is struggling to even feel joy and satisfaction in their life, but those more negative or those uncomfortable emotions are just dominating and ever present. And so it just makes it so much more difficult to feel like you're living your life in a meaningful, meaningful way, let alone to have some of those, you know, everyday emotional experiences and expressions. Instead, we just cut ourselves off, isolate, uh, and feel that internal struggle more and more in isolation, unfortunately. I agree with Alex completely. A lot of um, issues because of stigmatization of societies um, causes people to take all these emotions in and deal with it in their private, in their homes, in their um, loneliness or aloneness, all of that. And I think one of the things that um, is true about this is, and we have all studied about in uh, Eastern culture, even we know that the severe mental illnesses, they have better progression, they have uh, better uh, results. And the reason is people are easier with emotions. People 
um, show emotions. People, um, for example, one study was about the schizophrenia uh, group of people that they were, I guess we talked about it in the past as well. I think it was in Romania and I watched the video. People in that village, they didn't know anything about the schizophrenia. They didn't know anything about bipolar. So these people were treated like other people. They were not treated differently. And they were working, they were in the society, they were everywhere talking to people, gathering at night with the different group of people. And they um, actually were living so much more um, with quality of mm -hmm. life and they were so much better as time was going and they were aging. Um, than people in Western. And this is, we know that this is a comparison that we have. So I think culture plays a big role. In some cultures, you have to at least act perfect, right? So keep your emotions to yourself. And it's so interesting because now that we are talking about this, one of the other stigmatization is psychologists must be perfect. So as soon as you show any sort of emotions, people wonder, you know, oh, a psychologist, um, you know, did this or reacted to this. So it's, it's really the stigmatization and the societies and culture who um, basically cause all these, um, I mean, as one part of the issue, not just the whole thing, but we can even break it down into different issue, different culture part, different societies that the way they look at this. And um, I'm sure there are studies out there that we can bring to our conversation later. You, um, you mentioned Eastern cultures, Western cultures. Is the Iranian culture, is that considered a Western or Eastern culture or how does it fit? I was mainly talking about Eastern European culture and Western European, because that's completely too different. I don't know about the collectivistic culture, because I think that also puts a lot of more pressure differently and in a different way. So I think this is a big study to have, and we can just, um, out of our experiences, make um, conclusion from collectivistic culture and, and that. But the only thing I can say is, um, yes, in collectivistic culture, emotions are easier to be taken as something natural, um, you know, and we've talked about this on, on our shows that people, they're very easy to talk about, you know, what happens uh, in their life. Um, we talked about like, if you ask them, how are you doing? they don't usually say, oh, everything is great. Oh, I'm doing fine, like here. You know what I mean? It's as soon as you ask, like, oh my gosh, I was uh, kicked off uh, here. I was, uh, you know, laid off there. I, my family is going through this. Um, and they talk about it and they let it out. Um, so that, that has been my experience. I don't know about now, but I feel even in the communities that I am involved, it's easier to talk about your marriage life, to talk about your work life, to talk about your boss. Uh, I mean, it, you just let it out with friends and people you associate with. So it's, that's why I always feel like our gathering many times um, 
um, I've thought about that. It's more like therapy. People talk about their stuff. So yes, generally speaking, I know this study about the severe mental health issue has been done between um, Eastern European countries and Western European countries. But generally speaking, when we talk about emotions, um, I know it's easier in collectivistic culture to talk about emotions. Because of that, do you think there is less need in collectivistic cultures for mental health treatment or, or there is less mental illness? It, to me, it would seem, I'm, I'm thinking that there's a heavy com emotional component involved in mental illness. And then I wonder on collectivist cultures, if it's your impression, I not, you don't have to give, I'm not yeah. asking you to cite figures sure. or research empirical studies, but what's your thinking on that? I mean, does it, to me, it would seem like there would be less need or less problem. Probably so, but um, I really don't know because there are other issues involved, like um, the government, the uh, um, uh, economical issues, the uh, inflation causing financial problems. I'm, I'm talking about when you bring that, then people may just have other problems that causes um, some, you know, pressure on their on them mentally. Um, but as far as I know, generally speaking, in the entire world, there are a lot of um, medication mentally is being used. So I probably think the collectivistic cultures are also involved in that, how much of it is used by them or other um, countries, I don't know. But um, especially lately, I hear a lot of people, even in collectivistic culture, are taking medication for anxiety, for depression. I think the world is moving towards so many other issues as they're opening up to each other. People, the media is causing depression, the media is causing anxiety, the economical issues worldwide is causing anxiety. So I don't think the collectivistic countries are separate from that. So to answer your question, I would say there's so much going on that the and probably they're part of this too. So we got to another break. Shanvandigan Aziz Radio Bamdad. I guess today more of us up on English. Simishnavin, man, Saide Malikaf Saliasam, Behamrohe, Dr. Rockers, and Dr. Andrade Dutanas, Ham Koranam, Dasher Katetavana, Rusai Shambui, Shambe Asate Davazato, Yekebadazur, Bezabon Ingilisi, Darmor de Muzuote, Farhangi, Varavan Shanasis of Atmikonim. قسمت اول و دوم برنامهمون رو اگر نشنیدین وقتی برمیگردیم من یک مختصری ازش رو براتون میگم با ما باشین بعد از بریک دنباله صحبتمون رو در مورد موضوعات روانشناسی و ماه می که ماه در حقیقت منتال هلت هستش صحبت میکنیم از دل گل گل برای در زمستان 
Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade, um, the first two parts of our conversation, if you just turned on your radio, was about NAMI, the National Alliance Mental Illness Organization. Uh, this month is the month of mental health awareness, and NAMI, um, N-A-M-I, abbreviation of National Alliance for Mental Health uh, Illnesses, is very much involved in um, mental health awareness and Sacramento Psychological Valley Association, which is an organization um, of support for psychologists to get together and converse about issues locally in communities and many more. But also uh, SPPA, um, which is an organization that Dr. Rockers, Dr. Andrade and I are involved and have been involved and met through that organization um, is very much involved with NAMI. And Dr. Rockers, who was a president a couple of years ago of SVPA, was also the VP of NAMI. We talked about that and we talked about Saturday, which is the um, day of um, NAMI walk. And um, the month is the month of um, uh, mental health awareness. We talked about different cultures. We talked about emotions. And we also talked about different cultures, how they deal with mental health issues. This is just a little bit of what we talked. And now we continue our conversation. Dr. Andrade, my question for you is to uh, continue what Saide was talking about. I'm not going to ambush you on this one. No, no, no. I, I've, I've had some thoughts about it. So I'm a great question, Daniel. Uh, right. I think in the collectivistic cultures, there is a little bit less of a need for some of those reasons Saide mentioned too in that video uh, she mentioned. Actually, it was a, a similar video that I showed in my class when I taught abnormal psychology in regards to the question of is mental health more, maybe more predominant in the West than in other parts of the world? And I remember the students kind of reaction to that, that almost that the mental health issues that, uh, you know, individuals that were discussed and shown in the video were almost like more normalized and more accepted in that way, that those individuals were a part of 
the society and their difficulties were uh, incorporated and, and adjustments were made so that those individuals could be a part of the culture and the society. And I think this is something I've seen in the Latino culture where you'll have individuals who it's, it's sometimes that story. Oh yeah, my uncle, he's a little bit slower. You know, he needs some help. You know, we kind of got to, you know, keep an eye on him, but you know, he's fine as long as, you know, you're talking with them and, you know, you help them a little bit. And, and I think that's one of the ways that you say, my, my uncle has a developmental delay or a, a severe mental illness. And because of that, as a family, as a collective, we provide that support. We help in these different ways. I think you see that with severe mental illness, developmental delays, even cognitive decline or you know, a, a dementia. And so it's one of those things where it's those adjustments are made within the family, within the support system. Now, I think in the U.S., sometimes there's an emphasis on if a person creates some strife or some problems that, you know, and, and they're not contributing to the whole, you know, there's only so far we can, we can carry a person. There's only so much that we can take on the individualized kind of uh, idea, the individual over the group that is emphasized in the, the American culture, I think creates some division where the, the family emphasis is to a certain degree. Now I'm not saying that in American culture, people don't care about their family members. No, but I think there's a different level of dedication that you see in those collectivist cultures than in the individualistic culture. And so it's something where uh, even my own family, <clears throat> I've seen, you know, family members take on that role of helping somebody trying to, you know, do as much as you can. And, and also too, maybe not even call it, you know, you know, schizophrenia or call it, you know, the, you know, severe depression or a developmental issue. Um, I see as time goes by, people are recognizing as such and getting those family members help, but you still see the family involved. You still see them connected in trying to help and support best they can. That's true. Very much similar. Um, and as you said, there's nothing wrong if someone has depression, uh, as you mentioned, Alex, nobody name it, but um, they try to support, they try to bring that person um, in different places and gathering to make that person feel better. Um, it's just the community support that as soon as they see somebody has depression, somebody doesn't come out of the house, um, everyone gets involved, everyone tries to um, even take turn to take that person to the gym, to take that person for a walk, even that goes with Alzheimer and all those um, neurodevelopmental issues, um, dementia. Um, I've witnessed people that they um, gather to come up with ideas how they can support a person um, who has a family member who works and is busy and doesn't like someone, um, stranger come and take care of um, him or her. But all of a sudden people start supporting and um, they, they do it with all their heart um, to, you know, make that person um, just get better or get help, however. Um, and I've seen that in our community uh, more so. And I think it can be a double-edged sword too, as we've talked about uh, where certain cultural ideas, like I know we've talked about like machismo and how that can be seen as negative, but there can also be positive aspects to that. But the idea that, you know, we're not too prideful in 
uh, asking for help and resources. You know, the family can do some of that, but they can't do all of it a lot of times. I find it's too much stress, too much burnout on a family member. People come to therapy because of the burnout that they experience as a caretaker for family members. And so it's something too where recognizing that value within the culture, encouraging and supporting it, but then also supplementing that with those additional resources and supports. And so it's something I find a lot of times people will struggle with because it's ingrained this message of, well, I need to do for my family member, even to the point where this is my burden or this is what I I have to do. I will suffer even, but uh, I always remind them if you're suffering and hurting, you can't continue to give that care in the loving way that you want to. So to get that help allows you to kind of mitigate some of the stress and the pressure that you're feeling. So you can help in a fuller way, as well as feel like you're able to live your life and to have a balance between the two. And so it is something too, where it doesn't have to be a sacrifice or there are no other options. And that's where, again, NAMI comes to be such a great resource. You could supplement the care that people are getting at home with those resources that are available. I think education of the family members is very important. Sometimes um, we need to understand that, um, as you said, Alex, when they're more educated about mental health issues and also knowing that uh, a lot of burden can cause many issues on them themselves. So getting that education helps them to ask for help. And that is important because sometimes the family members they don't have that education to know there are all these resources out there, or they can open up to the community and get help from friends, from uh, associates, from um, extended family members. And people, you know, the, I think one of the things is hard for, um, especially in our culture, receiving a no answer, but I guess we have to also be open to asking questions. And if they said, no, it's not the end of the world. It's not that bad. So you can just ask, you know. So having a family member with a mental mental illness is stressful for the family. My question is, do you think it is more stressful for a family here in the individualist culture than it is in collectivist cultures? Absolutely. Because in um, collectivistic um, family culture, uh, you're not alone. You have cousins, you have grandparents, you have other extended family members who usually are involved as well because you're not very secret when it comes to something going on in your nucleus family, because we're talking about collectivistic culture, the cousins uh, are involved, the grandparents are involved. So you get a lot of more help. You know, you talk about it to them. You usually are so close to them that they're part of your family. But here I've seen people that they're so um, limited to only their nucleus um, family members that um, uh, it's it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I can't speak to that so much uh, as far as if it's how different it is in other places in the world. But I, I imagine as we talked earlier, just about what we kind of hear and what we've kind of seen in different studies and different, um, you know, uh, kind of explanations of, you know, the individualistic culture of uh, the U.S. versus other cultures. 
you know, there's the idea that over time uh, within, if you're in the dominant culture, you start to acculturate and take on some of those, those traits or habits of the dominant culture. And so I think you do see this meshing of people accepting, you know, living in the U.S. and you're of a racial ethnic background, kind of accepting some of those uh, norms a little bit more of getting additional help, getting more resources. Um, I've, you know, when I lived in Chicago, for example, I did see entire communities that were kind of just functioning on within their own as far as uh, their their culture. And so they wouldn't have to, individuals wouldn't have to venture out very far and can speak the same language and keep a lot of their customs in that way. So I would say maybe there are pockets where we could see that still to a large degree. Uh, but uh, I, I'd say in general, I think the idea of acculturation where there's a balance between the two is, is a little bit of the norm or, or what I see a little bit more. All right. Uh, so let's just have our final conversation about this. Um, I just start from myself uh, and you guys can chime in um, our, our last statement. I just want to um, say since the month of May is uh, mental health um, openness and mental health focus and awareness, just be aware that mental health is something that um, pretty much everybody here and there has been involved with either for themselves or family members so let's get out of this taboo and be more open and talk about it because anxiety and depression pretty much seems like it's a common issue it comes and goes it stays um it it just has seasonal i mean all of that so don't feel alone when you feel that you are down you have depression you have anxiety it's something that we can seriously call it pretty much common because it comes and goes um, and it's not going to stay always so just be open to it and then i hand it to either one of you guys i'll jump in a critical piece of our own mental health is involvement in the community and that may sound odd, but I think it's important always to be involved in our community so that you have friends, you have stable social support. And it is through our social interactions that we improve ourselves. It's how we know ourselves. So community involvement in order to better know ourselves, but also to better know what resources are available. Alex? I would echo just what the both of you said. I totally agree. I think it's connecting with the community could be so important, especially as a provider of mental health issues, or even just knowing that you have a family member who maybe struggles with some of these things. I think the idea is a lot of times that it has to be directly related to you, uh, that you're seeking these services or supports. A lot of the NAMI, for example, a lot of the NAMI uh, supports are for family members. And so it's, ways to get involved, ways to get connected, even if it doesn't directly affect you, that can help you, uh, you know, help people in your life who you care about. So I would say, you know, be open to it, you know, look at their website, kind of see what resources are available. Again, we, we did miss it this year in regards to the walk. Uh, but yeah, that way you can kind of keep that on your radar for next year to be a part of that and to get out there and get involved. With that, uh, we wish everyone a great Saturday and we come back to continue our conversation about um, something else. Thank you.
دریاست گرچه سرد و سخت زیباست موج این دریا گرد از سر گذاشتم سر نوشتت سر گذاشتم لشکر غم را به سوزان بر فلک سخی نمانده این زمانه هر بزن تا بیکرانه سرنوشت را باید از سرنوشت شاید این با Sun,